Welcome to the 127th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, a look back at the past week of NBA action, and we're going to discuss the NCAA basketball tournament bubble through the lens of upcoming and currently playing conference tournaments. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. We will start in the NBA, where Patrick went 2-2 two and two with his predictions. And in NCAA basketball, Patrick went 4-0 in his weekend predictions. So Patrick was 6-2 and two overall this weekend with his predictions, bringing him to 365 and 256 overall, a 58.8% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on this past weekend's predictions? Well, I said that the only way to go 4-0 in the NCAA is to pick at least one road team and hope that team wins. And this week, after going 2-2 two and two last week, I decided to just pick all home teams. And, well, turns out I was wrong. Actually, I got every single game right picking all home teams. I think at this point in the year, I think that's not too surprising because I think we know so much about each team that... I wouldn't say it's hard to get these predictions wrong because obviously they wouldn't be wouldn't be predicting the games if they weren't uh, you know good games at all. Uh, in Iowa, all they needed to do was shoot pretty much like forty percent from the free throw line in the second half to beat Illinois. Uh, obviously, Keegan Murray, when they were down, I believe one or two, missed all three free throws after getting fouled on a three with less than twenty seconds left in the game. So Illinois could have easily lost that game. Uh, Kansas went to overtime with Texas. They could have easily lost that game. UCLA almost choked against USC again. Um, and Tennessee built up a 20-point lead and then almost lost to Arkansas. So all four of these games were very, very, very close. Uh, and at some point, I probably thought all of my picks were losing. Texas was leading for way too long in that game for my comfort. Uh, maybe UCLA was the only team that led, not necessarily wire-to-wire, but for a good enough amount of the game that didn't feel like it was ever in doubt for them. Uh, and then I, Illinois had to make a comeback against Iowa. They were losing for a long uh, portion of that game. They were also, they had some good stretches too, but I believe there was a stretch where Iowa had made 12 or 13, uh, or scored on 12 or 13 possessions in a row. And I mean, it, when Illinois can't stop a team like that and they're losing by that much, uh, they like to make some substitutions that help them on the defensive end of the floor, but hurt them on the offensive end of the floor, which means that even though they might have actually stopped Iowa's runs, it might sacrifice them actually being able to get back into the game because they can't actually respond with some more offensive production. But uh, in the end, everything worked out fine for Illinois, and they were able to keep it close enough to get a little late surge and finally win that game on senior night against Iowa, which, by the way, by virtue of Wisconsin losing to Nebraska at home, uh, clinched a share of the Big Ten title and got the number one overall seed both of those first since 2005 for Illinois, which is interesting to think about. The last time they also won any share or outright of the Big Ten title, they were able to go all the way to the national championship game where they uh, lost to North Carolina. But I don't think that will be in the forecast for them this year. Also because, uh, well, I don't think North Carolina is going to be in the Final Four oh, at all. Um, and honestly, Illinois has a chance, but I don't think they're going to be going that far personally. Uh, but it's it's far more likely than the next few championship matches that I won't talk about that also happened a few years after that, including Georgia Tech being in the Final Four. That's definitely not going to happen this year, but let's move on from the past, talk about what happened, well, this past weekend, but a little more of the recent past. Uh, the Sixers beat the Cavaliers. 
I mean, you can't really say anything. Just James Harden and, and the Sixers are just playing really, really well right now overall. I don't think there are many teams. I mean, obviously they're not going to win every game, so it's not like no team can beat them or can't beat them, but it's going to be hard to find teams that beat them consistently enough to win a playoff series over them. Philly is definitely a trendy pick to win the East right now, and I don't I don't disagree with people who think they might. Uh, then you have the Bucks, who beat the Bulls. The Bulls still have not beaten a single top three team in the Western Conference or the Eastern Conference all season long. Keep that in mind. Uh, I, I once walked back my comments that the Bulls would not get a top four seed in the East. I'm now starting to walk those comments back forward because I think I was actually right. Uh, not for the reasons I thought, because I thought this roster wouldn't get to this level, but for the reasons that the other teams aren't exactly... Uh, are actually stepping up to it. I didn't think Miami would be one of those teams that overtook them, but they are. Uh, and, you know, the way the Celtics are playing right now, I know I'm getting in the NBA a little bit. We'll talk about it later. Celtics might overtake the Bulls pretty easily for that fourth spot. So I might have actually been right in the first place. I, I might have been pretty accurate in that assessment. And by the way, this is even with the Nets sitting in ninth. Uh, but we'll we'll get to those guys in a, in a, in a second. Uh, we'll talk about them a little bit more now, especially the Nets and the Celtics. I had picked the Nets to turn around their little losing streak that they were on by beating the Celtics on the road because Kevin Durant was back, because Kyrie Irving plays on the road. And then Jason Tatum just decided that it was not my week and he was not going to let me go 3-1 and one in the NBA and 4-0 in NCAA basketball. He said, Patrick, you have to have at least a semi-decent record. You cannot get a perfect record. I won't let it happen. Uh, and he just went absolutely crazy against the Nets. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Uh, but... The Nets really could have won that game. I think they're finally starting to play better, but the whole Kyrie playing, not playing thing is still a dilemma, and Ben Simmons still isn't playing. So we'll see what happens with that. Speaking of guys who aren't playing, I picked the Warriors to beat the Lakers. It's actually really funny because I deleted my first post on my Instagram because I had the Lakers picked over the Warriors, and it was a typo. Uh, and then I realized, oh, I have the Lakers beating the Warriors. That's not going to happen. So I switched it back to the Warriors very quickly and then re-uploaded it. Little did I know I could have been right if I stayed with my typo. Uh, but that game, just like Jason Tatum telling me that I couldn't get a pick right, LeBron decided that I couldn't get a pick right. Uh, you talk about 50-point games for guys younger than 25. With Jason Tatum, I think he's he has six of them, which is only behind Le LeBron and Michael Jordan, who LeBron, I think, has eight, and Michael Jordan has 10 or something like that uh, for 50-point games under the age of 25, and he's still 24 in a few days. It's only It was only his birthday, like, last week or something. Uh, and then LeBron becomes the fourth player of all time to score 50 points or more in a game at the age of over 37. So he was doing it when he was young. He's still doing it when he was old. Uh, and he's ruining my predictions once again. But uh, I guess I can't put my faith in Lakers, but I also can't, my put, can't put my faith against the Lakers. So uh, I guess I'll just stop picking them for the rest of the season. That might be the best alternative. Well, we'll see if you do stop picking them for the rest of the season uh, as your predictions for next weekend and every weekend after that will be posted on our website on Thursdays. Let's move our attention to our weekly review of NBA action, starting with your most impressive teams of the last week. I will start with the Boston Celtics, who I was hinting at a little bit. Uh, they went 3-0 this week. They beat Brooklyn. They beat Memphis. They beat Atlanta. Not necessarily the world's toughest schedule when you throw Atlanta in there, but uh, you can't ask for a team to play the top teams of each conference every single week. It's just not going to turn out that way. So Brooklyn and Memphis playing both of them in the same week is pretty, is pretty hard. 
uh, especially when Brooklyn's actually at full strength like they were in this game. There was no absence of Kyrie and absence of Kevin Durant. Both of them actually played, which is a rarity. I think that that's probably only happened like five or six times this season, it feels like, because of the vaccine situation and then Kevin Durant's injury. Uh, but And also Kyrie, I think, was injured at some point too. But uh, the Celtics have just been playing really well. I mean, I just said that I think they're going to overtake the Bulls for the fourth spot in the East. They're a, game, they're a half a game behind that. And it really feels like they are going to take over that spot. The Bulls have lost five in a row, while the Celtics have won three in a row. They're eight and two in their last ten. And it's really starting to feel like the Celtics are finally becoming that team that we all thought they could be. In fact, the Celtics have the best point differential in all of the Eastern Conference. It's better than Miami. It's better than Philly. It's better than the Bucs. Uh, and, and second place is, is the Heat at 5.1 points, plus 5.1 per game. Celtics are plus 5.5, and by the way, there are teams in the West that are better than that, that being Phoenix, Golden State, and Utah. But overall, that's really, really good, and obviously point differential doesn't just tell you who who's the best. But uh, I will say that's something to the Celtics' credit that shows that maybe that success has been there all year and we didn't really realize it, but I mean, they have been trending so far up the standings and just shooting up the standings the last few weeks. Meanwhile, the team that they played, we'll get to later, but... Let's move on from that to the Minnesota Timberwolves. 4-0 this week. Beat Portland, OKC, Golden State, and Cleveland. Again, two weak teams at the beginning of the week. But Golden State and Cleveland to end the week is a pretty hard stretch in their schedule. Uh, But I will say the one thing that was really impressive to me about this week is I looked at their points per game and it was like, how did they get that? And uh, they're they're averaging 132 points per game this week. They shot 55% from the floor and 43% from three as a team in the last week, which is just crazy with 32 assists to go with that. So they're sharing the ball well, and also 12 and a half steals per game, which is, all those numbers are insane. But the problem is Minnesota has not necessarily held those numbers consistently throughout the season. Otherwise they would be higher in the standings. Uh, and you know, that consistency problem is, is actually a problem that has been very evident that they have. Uh, if, they maybe were more consistent. Maybe they'd be able to play their way out of the of the playing game, and maybe they'd be the sixth seed. Maybe they could overtake Denver or Dallas. I don't really see that happening, but right now they're two and a half games back of Denver. Uh, three ahead of the Clippers at, at seven, though, so they're pretty secure to at least host a play-in game, I think is probably a likely outcome for that Minnesota team. But let's move on from that to the Milwaukee Bucks, who they are not going to be just hosting a play uh, play-in game. They might be hosting multiple playoff series, including maybe even the NBA Finals. Uh, 4-0 this week. Beat Phoenix, beat Chicago, beat Miami, beat Charlotte. They did beat Phoenix without, I think, Devin Booker, along with, obviously, Chris Paul, who's out for six to eight weeks. But I don't really care. Phoenix is still good. That's still a rematch of the NBA Finals game. Uh, And Chris Middleton had his season high, I think, 44 points in that game. So regardless of how good their opponent was in that game... It's still good to see those signs from the Bucks that they're maybe rounding back into their championship form a little bit more. Uh, but then moving on from that, you have that win against Chicago. That was a really good win. I predicted that win uh, in the Grayson Allen revenge game, I guess you could call it. I don't really know what you want to call it, but uh, that was a theme in that game. Then they obviously beat Miami, and then they beat Charlotte. So overall, I like the way the Bucks are playing. Uh, if they weren't the defending champions, they might be number one on the list for their schedule this week, but just because of who they are, you got to expect the champs to keep be, to keep winning. I mean, I think that's a fair assumption and I think that's a fair expectation of the champion of the defending champions. But let's move on from the defending champions 
to a team who hasn't won a championship in a little bit, but have won have some recent success. The Dallas Mavericks, 3-0. and uh, they beat Sacramento this week, although that was with no Luka Doncic, so that might as well be playing Milwaukee. <laughs> um, they beat Golden State, and they beat uh, the Lakers. That Lakers game, they had a big lead. They lost the lead. The Lakers were in the lead in the fourth quarter, and then Luka just pretty much clutched up for the Mavericks and powered them to the win. That's a common theme with them this season, but it, it is true that Luka has become one of the game's best closers. Uh, and really, the Mavericks are tough to beat in close games. They're tough to beat late. That win over Golden State, I believe, was that same game that we mentioned last week. I think on I think it was actually on my predictions. I don't exactly remember uh, where the Mavericks were were down by twenty plus and actually ended up winning that game. Although actually, no, 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 that was a week ago. Never mind. That that was actually that was a game a week ago. But they are still on a four game winning streak as a result of that, and they've beaten the Warriors twice in those four games. Uh, we'll get to the Warriors later, but. Overall, like the way the Mavericks are playing, like everything about the way they're doing things, and uh, I think they'll be playing pretty well for the rest of the season, and they might be the reason why the Timberwolves might not be able to climb out of the play-in. All right, well, let's move on to the most disappointing teams of the last week. Well, we have a lot of playoff teams here, and then one that's uh, eh, maybe not so much. But let's go on to the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, the Nets lost to Boston, Miami, and Toronto twice this week. Uh, ironically enough, the one road game that Kyrie can't play in, I believe, right now, other than the Knicks, obviously, because it's also in New York, is Toronto. So, uh, they, or, and I think Golden State too, actually. Now that I think about it, actually, I don't know. Um, Kyrie wasn't be, wasn't able to play in either of those games against Toronto. Neither of them went very well for the Nets. Uh, that Boston game was close. It looked more like the Nets that we that we kind of think are the championship contenders. And yet they still can't pull out a win at Boston. So as much as you can say it's close to the championship team, if that's as close as we're going to get to that team, that's not going to be enough for them to win the finals. I, I still think there are better teams even than the Celtics, including the Bucks, uh, probably including Miami themselves, who they also lost to this week. So I still think the Nets have a lot of big obstacles, and I don't necessarily see them overcoming those obstacles yet, and I haven't seen them sustain a level of play where they would be good enough to win series against those types of teams so far. And I mean, they're under 500 now. They're they're in the ninth spot in the East. They're, this is not a team that we can talk about as really a contender because they got to make sure the Wizards don't overtake them for a play-in game spot. I mean, right now the Wizards are 29 and 34. The Nets are 32 and 33. They're tied with Charlotte right now for the eighth seed. And then the Hawks are right behind them at 31 and 33. I mean, there's a legitimate chance that the Nets end up with the 10 seed and don't play a single home game until, what, game three of the first round if they even make it past the play-in? So it's really possible that the Nets are in kind of, I mean, they are in free fall. We already know that. But I think it's really possible that it could actually affect them at the end of the year. But maybe with these guys getting healthy again, maybe they'll be able to figure it out. But let's move on from that. Let us talk about the Chicago Bulls, who are at the top of the East still, but they went 0-3 this week, lost to Milwaukee, lost to Atlanta, and lost to Miami. Uh, the the Bulls, I mean, I said it already, they have not beaten a top three team in either conference this year. That's a little bit worrying when you talk about how that team will fare in the playoffs, uh, especially considering that if they don't get the four seed or the five seed, they will be playing a top three team in the East, a team who they, well, Depends on how the standings shake out, but if they they if they end the way they are right now, uh, and the Bulls also somehow fell to a six seed, they would be playing a team they have never beaten this season, including Philadelphia, who I think is three and zero against them this year without even having James Harden in any of those games. Uh, so 
The road only gets tougher from here for the Bulls. I think they have some things to figure out. I think they know what they need to do. They just really need to get healthy. There is definitely still some aspect of this that's not having Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso to play to really bring up their defensive intensity. I mean, those are two point guards, too. It's not like... It's not like their injuries are spread out from position to position. They really have one position being hit hard, and it's one of the most important positions on the floor, if not the most important position on a basketball court. So uh, I think the Bulls will turn it around eventually. But let's move on to a team who definitely needs a star back. Uh, All-star Draymond Green has been out for the Warriors. The Warriors are 2-8 and eight in their last 10 now. 0-3 this week. They lost to the Lakers. They lost to Dallas and they lost to Minnesota. I don't think that LeBron, I don't think that the way LeBron played could have been altered by too many players in the league, but I can almost guarantee that he would not have scored 56 points against the Warriors if Draymond Green was guarding him for at least half the game. He probably still would have had a great night just the way he was shooting, but I feel like it's almost impossible for it to have been over 50. I feel like Maybe it would have been a 45-point game, and he probably could have still led the Lakers to the win. But Draymond really does have that kind of impact on this team. I mean, there's a reason why he argues all the time that he should be the defensive player of the year. He guards one through five. He guards all of them very well. Uh, And he's really just that important for this Warriors team. They are missing a lot when he's not on the court, including, uh, honestly, some some rebounding that he puts in, uh, a little bit of scoring. And then also his assists to, along with the defense, make him a very, very important player of the Warriors. And we're, see, we're clearly seeing the effects of what happens when he doesn't play. But let's move on from the Warriors. Man, the Spurs just need to get a win so like Greg Popovich can set that wins record. I would like to see that happen. Uh, but Or at least tie it, because I guess he still hasn't even tied it, although they're playing tonight, so who knows what happens there. Uh, and then probably later in the week, they'll, they'll probably figure out how to set that record eventually. Uh, but 0-3 this week, lost to Charlotte, to Sacramento, and to Memphis. Uh, overall, honestly, don't have much to say about the Spurs. I, I, do, say, I do have to say overall... These teams are really, they have chances at making that play-in spot. Uh, and I don't think the New Orleans Pelicans are the most, you know, secure play-in team there, or playoff team there's ever been. But all these teams are really squandering their opportunities. And it just feels like the Pelicans are probably going to end up with that spot. I almost feel like at this point, the Lakers might be more likely to lose their playoff spot than the Pelicans are. Honestly, it's getting to that point. There's only a one-game differential in the standings. So it is definitely possible that that might happen. Uh, but overall, it can't say much about the Spurs. I mean, I, they're not supposed to be that great, but uh, I think they could play at least a little bit better. Okay, let's move on to your player of the week. Well, I will go with uh, Jason Tatum from Boston. I was thinking about going with John Morant here too. Uh, he set, by the way, I did not mention on the last podcast because it hadn't happened yet, but he set the, the Grizzlies franchise scoring record in back-to-back games. The only problem is one of those games was last week, or, or last week in the way that we define the weeks, and then the other one was this week. So he had one 50-point game this week, which obviously it's not like, oh, he had one 50-point game. He's not that good. That's ridiculous. But Jason Tatum had a higher scoring 50-point game, that being his 54-point game against the Nets on Sunday in primetime when all the eyes were on the Celtics and the Nets at the TD Garden. He also averaged 41.3 points, 6.3 rebounds, and 5.0 assists uh, on the week overall. So look, Jason Tatum is playing very well. So are his Celtics. They're coming up with him. And uh, overall, Celtics are playing really well. He especially is playing very, very well for that team. If you look at his numbers during the win streak, they're way up. 
And uh, I, I think honestly, he can be a superstar on a playoff on a playoff caliber team that even wins a series or two. I don't see what's stopping him. I mean, obviously, he I wouldn't put him in the Giannis category or Kevin Durant category of players yet, but he's probably in that in that in that lane just under those kinds of guys. And uh, I really think that well, maybe behind DeRozan season two, but. I think that really he can lead the Celtics to at least one series win this year. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. Okay, well, let's move from the NBA to a look at college basketball through the lens of conference tournaments and their impact on the NCAA tournament bubble. So I will say before starting the actual rundown of my current bubble, uh, North Carolina, Michigan, and San Diego State moved off the bubble entirely after last weekend's results. San Diego State, just because they were very close to it, I actually might not have had them on there on Friday. Uh, but they're not the first t- three teams ahead of the last four buys. They're kind of in, and that's not the exact order they're in uh, right now. But uh, obviously, North Carolina with a big road win at Duke, Michigan with a big road win at Ohio State, and San Diego State just not losing, which is better at this point than some other teams are doing. Uh, but very important news for all of those teams, include, and then also the next 16 teams that I'm about to mention came in over the course of the weekend. That was in the form of Murray State, who is an eight seed in my latest bracket, and Loyola Chicago now an 11 seed in my latest bracket. Before a last four in team, uh, before that, before what they just did, while both of them won their conference tournaments, eliminating the Ohio Valley Conference and the Missouri Valley Conference in all likelihood from being multi-bid leagues. That is the assumption there, but that's very helpful because if Murray State had lost Moorhead State, now you have to put Moorhead State in the bracket and Murray State easily gets in as an at-large, which shrinks the bubble by one team. That's the phrase that we use. That would probably knock SMU out of the tournament, which kind of just spoiled that, but at least in the current field as of the way I see it. Uh, if Loyola Chicago had lost, it honestly depends on the margin. I don't really know. It really just depends on how it would have impacted the metrics and how the rest of the season turns out, if they would be in or not, but they would at least make the bubble more crowded. Now you have some more clarity there that it's impossible pretty much for the MVC to get to teams in the tournament. Uh, I don't think Drake or uh, or Northern, or Northern Iowa uh, or uh, Missouri State is going to make it. So uh, this just does not seem like a possibility. But without further ado, let's talk about the actual bubble. Starting with the last four buys, we have Wyoming, Notre Dame, San Francisco, and Wake Forest. In the last four in, we have Creighton, Rutgers, Xavier, and SMU. In the first four out, we have Indiana, BYU, Dayton, and Florida. And in the next four out, we have Virginia Tech, VCU, Virginia, and Texas A&M. A little bit of a Virginia theme there. And now I'm going to run through some of these team scenarios for uh, this week and what what they mean for the tournament. Uh, Let's start with Wyoming. So Wyoming will play UNLV in the Mountain West Conference Tournament and then likely Boise State and then the finals of that tournament, a very short tournament. Uh, But overall, I honestly think as long as Wyoming avoids that loss at UNLV or against UNLV, if they only lose to Boise State, who's the one seed in that tournament, and I think hovering around a 7-8 or a 9 seed in the actual bracket... I don't think they're going to be out of the tournament based on that loss alone, at least in my estimation. Now, if if the committee does not have them in kind of a last four bias place and they have them more in a last four in right now, then a loss to Boise State would probably knock them out of the tournament. But I don't think it will hurt them too much. It really depends on the other teams. They are definitely at the mercy of those other teams, unless they're able to pull that win out against Boise State. If you add an extra quad one win at the end of the year and then an extra win, I think losing in the finals of your conference tournament is probably not going to kill your resume. But let's move on from them to Notre Dame. They will probably play Virginia Tech and then the winner of North Carolina versus somebody. Uh, the ACC tournament is huge. 
So that, that that's not very uh, set in stone, obviously. And actually, that North Carolina game versus whoever would be a semifinal game, I believe, when if Notre Dame were to play, were to get all the way there, uh, and that game after after playing the winner of UNC versus who knows, uh, they would be in the tournament finals. So it, it's a long ways away when you look at the grand scheme of that tournament. Uh, or actually, yeah, if they were to beat North Carolina, sorry, they would be in those tournament semifinals. So. Overall, uh, Notre Dame probably needs to just beat Virginia Tech, and that should be enough. Honestly, at this point in the year, we went through the scenarios last Friday, right? We talked about what could happen over this weekend that could affect these teams. Most of these bubble teams lost. I I will say it pretty simply. Most of them lost. Uh, And then you have some other teams. Memphis worked themselves off the bubble. I forgot to mention them in that group in North Carolina and Michigan because they were kind of teetering on the edge there. They're the team right ahead of Wyoming in my mind. Uh, probably maybe a little bit ahead of that. I don't really know. Uh, but I know for a fact that in my in my opinion, they're off the bubble. Their metrics look great after their win over Houston. So you had Memphis getting a win over Houston. You had Michigan getting the win at Ohio State. And then you have North Carolina winning at Duke on, uh, well, spoiling Coach K's, uh, uh, the senior of all senior nights, I guess, uh, his retirement ceremony. So all three of those games were big enough wins to propel those teams above the rest of these teams. Notre Dame, if they were able to somehow get all the way to Duke in the in the ACC tournament, would probably secure themselves an ACC or would secure themselves an NCAA tournament with ease and probably even be a seven or eight seed. But I think to beat Duke, they might actually have to win the conference finals, uh, which that would be a hell of a run in the first place and would give them probably enough wins, probably one or two quad one wins to the point where, well, they'd be in anyway. But uh, let's move on from that to. The San Francisco Dons, uh, they're losing to Gonzaga currently. And, uh, well, if they lose that game, then, well, I think it's over for them. Uh, Not really, I'm kidding. But they will be probably moved down to the last four, and it really depends. I don't know how that will affect their resume in terms of, again, it all comes down to how much uh, really the margin can affect it to see how much they're affected by metrics and what else happens in peripheral games that makes them a quad one win for someone else or themselves getting getting an extra quad one win or quad one loss or quad two loss or whatever. Uh, so overall, San Francisco is definitely at the mercy of other teams. Right now, I'd say if there were three bid stealers, if you're looking at, I don't know, someone like a Georgia Tech coming out of nowhere and winning the ACC or a Washington State winning the Pac-12, if you had that kind of a scenario, then you're looking at San Francisco probably be wanting, being one of those teams that slides at least the last four in, and if they were already in the last four in, depending on what happens with other teams, they might slide out of the tournament. So it sucks to play so early and have to wait around and to really see where you are, but that is the scenario they are in. So let's move on from them to Wake Forest, who plays the winner of Pitt in Boston College, then Miami, and then likely the semifinals against Duke. I would say Wake Forest, as long as they avoid that loss against Pitt, uh, and probably they need that win against Miami to really ensure that even with a bunch of craziness happening, they would still be in. Uh, I think that would be enough just because of the fact that the semifinals is probably against Duke. Uh, that would be a good enough loss that I don't think it would knock them out of the field. But if anybody else comes out to the semis that's not Duke, that might be a different issue, uh, and we'll see what will happen there. But overall, I think Wake Forest is pretty safe. Then you have Creighton, who plays Marquette. And then the winner of Providence, uh, well, the winner of Providence against the winner of Xavier and Butler, uh, and then the finals for Creighton. So it's a very important game that Creighton wins against Marquette. If they're able to win that game, 
I think that might be high enough quality to put them in the field. I think all of these teams really, they have tournament level teams or bubble teams. I mean, when you look at Notre Dame, I mean, you can look at all the teams I just mentioned other than uh, other than San Francisco. Miami's a tournament team. Virginia Tech is on the bubble. North Carolina's a tournament team. Boise State's a tournament team. And Marquette's a tournament team. So all of those wins, you get a win over a tournament team in the conference finals then lose to the top seed in your league. You're probably not getting knocked out from the last four buys. But Creighton's kind of on the fringe where that might be a scenario that happens to them. And really, they better hope Providence wins that game because you can only take the loss to Providence after beating Marquette. If they lose to... Let's say Butler starts to make a run. If they lose to Marquette and then Butler, that might be a different story because Butler would be a very bad loss to have on your resume. But let's move on now to the Big Ten, where Rutgers plays the winner of Iowa versus the winner of Nebraska and Northwestern, uh, and then likely Illinois in the semifinals. Rutgers had a very high seed in the Big Ten tournament, but I don't think it's actually going to help them that much because when you compare them to a team like Michigan, who plays Indiana in the first round. Rutgers doesn't get the benefit of playing a, a team on the bubble. They go straight into playing top seeds because they got that double buy in the Big Ten tournament. They're going to play most likely, I, I don't really see Iowa losing to Nebraska or Northwestern. I got to be completely honest. Uh, but if they play Iowa, I mean, you either improve your resume a ton or you go 0-1 in the Big Ten tournament and all of a sudden it looks like you didn't improve your resume at all when in reality, you kind of just got screwed over by being too good in the regular season at least in the conference part of it. So Rutgers is in an interesting predicament there, but if they beat Iowa, I think that pretty much guarantees their tournament slot. It, it, they have enough quality wins to offset their bad losses from the beginning of the season, but putting one more on that would probably offset it so much that you, you just can't deny them from the tournament at that point. And then let's move on to Xavier, who plays Butler, then Providence, and then the winner of Creighton against Marquette before the Big East tournament finals. Xavier absolutely has to beat Butler. If they lose to Butler, their season is over, point blank, period. It's that simple. If they lose, if they beat Butler and they lose to Providence, they are definitely waiting on other teams and they will have a very, very nervous selection Sunday. I could not guarantee that beating Butler is enough. I think what they have to do is beat Butler and then beat Providence. That is the only way to guarantee their spot other than getting to the finals and maybe even winning the finals. But let's move on from them to SMU who plays Tulsa and then Wichita State and most likely Memphis and then the tournament finals. Uh, SMU, if they picked up that win against Memphis, I would say that might, I mean, look, for all these teams, for SMU, for Xavier, for Rutgers, for Creighton, if they beat those tournament teams that they play, they all move up together in a pack, I think. I mean, Rutgers might separate themselves a little bit because that win over Iowa would be probably the highest quality other than Xavier beating Providence. But overall, these teams just need a win over a tournament team in a big setting, and I think on a neutral court, that'll be easily a quad one win. I think any any team will say, or the committee will be able to see that that's a very quality win, and as long as they avoid a bad loss, uh, they'll at least have some some say on collect, on selection Sunday. Uh, they might they might not be in if they uh, if they had if they just avoid a bad loss. I mean, if you're Xavier, I don't think Butler is going to guarantee it. If you're SMU, I don't think beating Tulsa or Wichita State is going to guarantee it. But you would at least have a chance losing to Memphis if you're SMU or Providence if you're Xavier. But let's move on to Indiana. Who plays Michigan, then Illinois, then the semifinals? Uh, they have to beat at least Michigan to have a chance. I, I think if they beat Michigan and lose to Illinois, they would have a very, very stressful selection Sunday. But they might get the benefit of the doubt. If they beat Michigan and Illinois, first of all, if any team is that hot, they might as well win the Big Ten tournament. It's, it's possible that a team could win it from that scenario. They're, the Big Ten is deep. Uh, but honestly, there's not really one top team 
that's necessarily overpowering everybody else. I mean, you could see it because of the fact that Nebraska and Wisconsin played on Sunday, and I know I already talked about this a little bit even without it being written in anywhere. Wisconsin was the one seed in the Big Ten heading into Sunday. Nebraska was the 14 and last seed heading into the Big Ten on Sunday, or heading into the action on Sunday, the 14th seed in the Big Ten. Nebraska beat Wisconsin, so the worst team beat the best team on the final day of the season. It is possible that any team can beat any team in the Big Ten. I wouldn't be surprised if Indiana was able to pull out that win against Michigan or against Illinois. I don't know if they're going to do it because Michigan does have enough motivation. They are still hungry. They are still fighting on the bubble and at least fighting to stay off the bubble and at least fighting to get some better seating. And that's an that's important enough that I don't think Michigan's going to get complacent. I think they're going to take that game very seriously, and I think Michigan is better than Indiana, and I think Illinois is definitely better than Indiana uh, from all standpoints. So Indiana, probably their most likely scenario in terms of having a chance at the tournament is eking out a win over Michigan and then barely losing to Illinois or keeping it close against Illinois and just hoping that the committee thinks that enough, but it would be a tough call. Then you have BYU who, well, their season is over. Can't do much to improve their resume. All they can hope is that you have SMU maybe losing to Tulsa or Wichita State. You got to have Rutgers losing, uh, and then you got to have Indiana lose, and then maybe you move ahead of them. It's going to be a really tough road for BYU because there is no road for them to drive on. They just have to wait for other teams to crash and fall. Then you have Dayton, who plays the winner of UMass and George Washington, and then probably VCU in the semifinals. They have to win both of those games and probably, well, I mean, frankly, at this point, you're looking at if you win that game and then the semifinals, if they win another game, they have secured an auto bid. So I would say they probably need to win the game after that, but if I do, that's saying that they need to win the conference tournament. Is that maybe the scenario for Dayton? It's possible. I think if they are able to beat VCU and get to the finals, and as long as Davidson is waiting for them on the other side of the bracket, and that's who they have to play in the finals, I think they'll be fine if that's who they end up losing to, if it's close, because they also just beat Davidson at the end of the year. But I would say that they would definitely still need some other help and overall, they're probably the first team that we're looking at as the only way to guarantee is a win-and-in scenario. Then you have Florida, who plays Texas A&M, Auburn, and then probably LSU or Arkansas in the semifinals. I was talking about the scenario of Florida last weekend as being, uh, or on Friday, as being a team that needs to beat two of the top four teams in the SEC. Well, you are given a golden opportunity to do so. Go out, beat A&M, who's also on the bubble with you, beat Auburn, and then go beat LSU or Arkansas. That is not an easy task by any means. However, the, field, the, the the path is simple. They get to the finals and they're in, even if they lose in the finals. I think it is that simple for them. Picking up two giant wins at the end of the year and that Texas A&M win, which would not be, it wouldn't be massive, but it would be a good enough win. Uh, I think that puts them in, honestly. I, I don't think, unless you, obviously, unless you have the worst case scenarios where Indiana wins the Big Ten and Xavier wins the Big East, but I'm looking at probably the most likely scenarios in other games and then collecting them with the Florida Florida's best scenario. That's kind of how I'm doing this. Uh, but I think Florida, honestly, with that win over Auburn and against Texas A&M, that would put them right on the edge of the tournament, but not quite in just because that would only be their third quad one win of the year, I believe. So it's just not quite enough. They're going to need more than that. And I think the LSU or Arkansas win would probably be enough. Uh, but... If they win in their, if they win that tournament, they'll probably end up as maybe a nine seed. So that's probably the best path to be very, very safe. The final, even if they lost in the finals, it still might be a little bit stressful on Selection Sunday. But they would probably feel confident that they're in. Then you have Virginia Tech, who plays the winner of Clemson and NC State, then Notre Dame, and then probably the winner of 
or sorry, would play the winner of North Carolina versus somebody. Um, look, Virginia Tech and Notre Dame both very desperately need that name uh, or need that win. Virginia Tech cannot lose to Clemson or NC State, or they are for sure out. I, I can guarantee that the tournament uh, could not, could not, would not put them in if Clemson uh, or, or North Carolina State beat them. Probably, I mean, if Clemson beat them, it might be still po- probably a little bit of a conversation. They might still be on the bubble, but if NC State beat them, that would be a really, really bad loss, and that would definitely seal their fate. Uh, and then if they won against Notre Dame. Again, I still honestly don't think that's enough. I think they probably need to at least get past North Carolina uh, and hope that North Carolina is the team that comes out there. Then you have VCU, who plays the winner of Richmond against the winner of Rhode Island against Duquesne. Uh, Then probably Dayton in the semifinals. They need to beat Dayton. They need to beat Richmond. Frankly, I think they're a win-and-in scenario. I don't think that those two wins would be quite enough to get them in the tournament without a massive amount of help from other teams. I think that would land them right ahead of BYU, which is... Guess what? The first team out of the tournament. So that doesn't really do anything for... Actually, it's the second team out of the tournament. So that doesn't really do anything for you. Uh, Then you have Virginia, who plays the winner of Georgia Tech and Louisville. And then North Carolina. Then they would play the winner of Notre Dame versus somebody. So you need... I think Virginia needs to... uh, I think Virginia needs to win at least through that Notre Dame game. Just kind of like Virginia Tech, where they need to beat Notre Dame and then North Carolina. I also think Virginia needs to beat... North Carolina, and then Notre Dame, and also not slip up in their first game. Any team in the ACC that's on the bubble that slips up in their first game, the bottom of the ACC is really bad this year, so if you lose one of those games, it's pretty much a death sentence to your tournament hopes, unless maybe you're Notre Dame, uh, and maybe probably Wake Forest, you might be okay if you sneak with a little bit of a loss against Boston College. But uh, finally, you have Texas A&M, who has the same scenario as Florida, they're at a little bit of a lower starting point. They have to beat Florida, then they have to beat Auburn, and then they have to beat LSU or Arkansas. I would argue that in A&M's case, I don't know who else is who's higher in the net or in the committee's mind, but whoever the committee has higher in terms of LSU or Arkansas, I think it's probably Arkansas, they need to beat that team. They can't play LSU. They can't play the second best team possible. They need to play the best teams available in all of the tournament. They need to beat Florida. They need to beat Auburn. They need to beat Arkansas. They probably need to beat at least one of those teams by a sizable margin. And then they need Kentucky to be the other team in the finals. They can't have anybody else in the finals. It has to be a loss to a one seed, which is only going to be Kentucky or Auburn uh, from the SEC at least. So uh, A&M definitely has a hard scenario. Probably the easiest way is just to win all the way through the tournament. And then, you know, there are teams like Oregon. There's teams like Washington State. There's teams like St. Bonaventure who you're looking at and saying, Go out and win your conference tournament. You got You just got to do it. You got to pull a Georgetown. You got to pull an Arizona State, whatever you want to call it. Uh, there are a lot of teams who are in that scenario. And I think if you didn't uh, know that your team is automatically in and uh, you didn't hear their name called, they're probably on the bubble. And they're probably outside of the bubble. Well, that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, March 11th, where we will have our weekly in-depth analysis of college basketball action. I'm sure we'll be talking about those teams that may have improved their situation on the bubble, those teams whose bubble has bursted, um, and uh, what's going on in the college basketball conference championship tournaments. Uh, That will be on Friday, March 11th. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games and his latest NCAA basketball tournament bracket, which was posted on Saturday, and his next bracket, which will be posted tomorrow. All that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.